Welcome to the Silicon Slopes Conversations. We are here with James Clark, who is the founder and managing partner of Clark Capital and the founder and CEO and chairman of ClearLink. How are and you? janitor, you need to mention too. Garrett, janitor. So, yeah. um, do you prefer mopping or sweeping? <laughs> I'll do it all. I'll do it all. Yeah, so your title is longer than the last time you were here, which was uh, three years ago. going on, yeah. All right, so there's been some stuff that's happened. Yeah. Uh, we're going to hit on all of it. We've got Brandless, we've got ClearLink, but let's start with ClearLink. Sure. Um, why does a guy that founds a company and starts a company 20 years ago, sells it 10 years after that, go back to a company like uh, ClearLink? Um, unfinished business. We, I, I really felt like there was so much opportunity still left there. Uh, it had transacted three different times. Uh, ClearLink, and I, I won't take for granted that any of you know ClearLink. There's some ClearLinkers here, and I'm grateful. Yeah, there was that one woohoo, <laughs> or two. Garrett says two. Um, you know, an online retailer and provider of services to the home, um, really digitally enabled um, technology. It's it's you know just it's a company that has changed and evolved a lot in the last decade. Um, of the 1,200 employees, when we returned back to it in, in January, about a dozen and a half were there uh, from when I had left in, in 2011. And so folks didn't know me. Uh, and you think you're sort of returning to this baby, this, you know, this child that you've created that's grown up somewhat, but you, you expect to some degree some hero's welcome of sorts. And it just wasn't that. In fact, I, I mentioned to, to Garrett earlier that I, we had, did our first town hall, and you know they do these Slido comments and things like that. And I was compared to uh, Gordon Gecko, the fictional character from Wall Street, coming back as this investor. I mean, if you remember, in the second Wall Street, I think he was convicted of a felony and all those things. So it was not this warm welcome that I think we expected. But really, truly, people have been wonderful. I, I say that you know tongue in cheek that you know there are these comparisons and funny things, but it has been a wonderful return to a fantastic business. And I, I credit those who have been running and operating the business for the last 10 years. Um, but really, they had, we had sold to private equity. It then sold to a publicly traded company, another very large BPO um, out of Europe acquired the asset. It was just a non-core asset. And for years, we've thought about sort of the unfinished business. As we created ClearLink, you know, you, you build a business for 10 years, and you think about what it could become, and there was still a lot, I think, a lot of meat left on that bone. And so for us to return has been really meaningful. I think we're, we're very much involved in sort of this um, talent and recruiting phase of the business and almost a stabilization of, of new management, because they've been through the war. They've, had, they've been through all these transactions with all these other owners, and then for us to step in doing the same kind of thing, it's showing that it's steady eddy and then we can really step on the gas and show the growth in this business. So we're really excited about doing that and this team is behind the growth story and so that's why you return to a business. So yeah, yeah. To, to my you know 40 year old self that sold this business, yeah I'm back and, and we're thrilled about the opportunity. So it's been great. Yeah, it is a very interesting story. So when you guys uh, sold it originally, there's two more transactions, right? So yeah. when you rebought it, you guys have been out, out, right? Like no ownership, nothing. No. Um, and so you had no say in what was going on the previous 10, 12 years. Right. And so um, how does that work, right? Like you wake up one morning and you see the news or you hear the news through yeah. your network and the idea pops into someone's head. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, I see some potential here. What's the uh, sequence of, of logic? Yeah, so the, the story, it's a kind question. The, this For us... Um, we, you know, Clark Capital, we're based in Provo, Utah, but we have an office in Miami, office in New York, an office in London. My Miami partner, James Harrison, was literally right around the corner from the headquarters of Cytel, the new owner of the Sykes business. And, and uh, so we started a conversation just talking about what if, you know, what's the, the art of the possible with a clear link as it was a, really a non-core asset for them, very small part of a very large balance sheet. Um, and we talked about sort of what our vision was for that business and our ability to sort of pivot some of the technology story. And, and those of you who don't know ClearLink or, or those perhaps even that do, you know, I don't know that it's been sort of this hotbed or known as a technology company, even though it really is. At its core, this is what ClearLink is about, you know, a um, hundred or so engineers and, and real technology-enabled retail 
Um, but it just really never sort of got that day in the sun to showcase what it can do and what our tech abilities have been. So I, I, th I think that's part of the pivot and that's part of the story. Cytel gravitated towards that and they've given us an opportunity to step in. We're minority stakeholders in it today. They're getting through a transaction that they've just announced and then we can uh, complete a, an 80% stake purchase of the business. So for all intents and purposes, we run day to day and then we'll own the majority of that business by, by year end. So that's sort of the anatomy of how that, that is. Got it. So it's uh, like-minded folks who understand the businesses and obviously like it cash flows nicely because private equity has been interested in it time and time again. And it's, this isn't the best fit for you guys anymore, but we still love it. And then the deal happens, yeah. right? The numbers, yeah. the spreadsheets, yeah. and all of that. And it made sense. Sure. And there was immediate chemistry with Cytel. Um, you know, you, I, I was taught by a great mentor, a, a guy named Reed Halliday. He's a legend at Goldman Sachs. There's a lecture series at UVU after Reed Halliday. Um, and he manages about $12 billion. But he, he says you do business with people um, for these three reasons in this order. You like them, you trust them, and then you'll go do something really special together, make yeah. money. Um, and we believe that. We, and, and I think we felt that kind of chemistry at, with, with a Cytel. We like them, we trust them, and then we're going to be able to do something really special. And certainly we, we have that affinity for ClearLink and what it's about. And I think the best days of ClearLink are, are in front of us. And we, we've grown tremendously even in the last six months. Um, but we've got so much more that we can do to really play this out as a true tech story. It's a great story that's unfolding right now. So we're excited about it. Yeah, and to be here in Silicon Slopes. Yeah. Um, there's a lot probably happening in your brain in the early days, like, like getting the deal done. And those structures are oftentimes complex. Sure. Um, and then at some point, the rubber's going to meet the road, and you're yeah. going to either be locked out of the building or the door will open for you. <laughs> in this case, it opened. Um, so, like, whether it's a sports figure coming out of sure. retirement or, you know, race car driver, you're probably out of practice. Yeah. A little pudgy around the edges when it comes to, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, operations. Sure. You've, you've nailed it. <laughs> you've nailed this guy. So. so what was going through your brain the first weeks, months? Um, what was your list of, like, I got to tackle this, I got to do that? Sure. I, I you know, um, it became all about trust. It still is about trust. We're still trying to generate sort of this trusting relationship, but it's been really hard. I mean, the company went from sort of, we've got a quarter million square feet of office here in Utah. About uh, two thirds of our workforce is based in Utah, but we're on four continents at ClearLink. Um, you know, how do you get to know somebody and know that they can trust, you know, a, a leader that's just sort of reinserted himself in this business that he sold a decade ago? And, and it's been harder than we ever imagined to sort of go to that point and get there. In fact, you know, I, and I think this is something that we're still losing, you know, coming out of COVID and sort of in this virtual environment. It's why we're all here in person today, because these relationships are tactile. And for us to, you know, sort of look at how we build trust and how we build a business and even pivot. I mean, we really look at this in a lot of ways as a turnaround story. And so for us to, you know, be able to do the things that we need to do, I just, it is that tactile opportunity. And I, I think, you know, for the most part, um, flexibility is here to stay in the workforce. I just don't think that goes away after these last two years. But I think we're also missing out in some of that community. We're missing out in the mentoring and learning how to be a leader, sitting next to a leader and, and really learning sort of what that map looks like and what is the strategy map behind, you know, being the kind of leader in business that you need to be. So it, it's, it's certainly, to answer the question, it's certainly been a lot more challenging than we ever imagined, but the results are coming. But we're, we're still trying to build that out, and I think being in person is a big part of that. So we'll see how that unfolds as well. Oh, yeah, I would agree. Like, uh, I don't envy you coming in at that point because I think we are like-minded and I, it's yeah. really divisive whether it's virtual or Well, we're practically related, these Clark boys <laughs> sitting up here. I just spell it differently, huh? Yeah, but uh, I'm a in-office person for all the yeah. reasons you mentioned. Um, yeah. And uh, not having that ability to, like, have little one-off conversations around sure. the water cooler, ping-pong table, yeah. I think that's... Um, Damaging. So, but yeah. I'm sure you guys are pivoting. We're and working. To we're that. working through that as best we can, though. But I think it's a challenge for everybody. How do you get people re-engaged when they've been away? And you know, you can look at some of the data. The data points would read that productivity is up, and we're doing better. And you know, 
companies are performing. I think that's probably a short-term statistic, and I think if you look at some of the, you know, the it, additional indicators around that, I think we'll see that it actually goes down over time. And especially in a situation like this that we consider a turnaround, you've got to have sort of this tactile nature of, of what that relationship looks like. And that's how you keep people engaged in a business. So. I, I agree. Yeah. And um, what methodologies you guys use, you know, you laid out your vision to Cytel and it, it was good, but that was like you didn't have all the information, right? It, sure. Like once you're there, yeah. you get punched in the nose and it's like, oh, I was off on that. Yeah. Is it OKRs? Is it like we want to be here in three months? We want to be here in three years? How are you guys digesting? Yeah, I, I, on a daily basis. I mean, it, it really is. We're, we're still learning, relearning the business. You think you have a sense of what it is, but it's evolved and changed so much. So there's, yes, all the points that you bring up. Yeah, what are the leading, lagging indicators? It, it's really easy. And we've been tempted to be this, you know, as, as private equity investors and investors in other companies, to really focus on the, the outputs when really our focus ought to be on sort of what is the input going into this business that then leads to the metrics that you all want to learn about. And so, you know, when you don't hit numbers, the natural tendency of your board or your supervisor is to really, you know, pounce and, and clamp down on certain things when in reality you, you need to shift that focus and and go right back to what the inputs are relative to sort of that desired output in the end. And so it's been helpful for us to sort of, you know, as board members and as advisors and investors in businesses, we fancy ourselves as operators first, investors second. Um, and, as, and as we look at businesses, we've tried to resist that temptation that it is to sort of just really focus on numbers. Because I've been in enough board meetings where you spend 80% of the board meeting talking about the numbers. And it's really not what you want to know. As a board member and an owner or, you know, an investor, you really don't, you want to understand those numbers, but you really need to focus on what the inputs are that are going to drive those numbers in the end. And we sometimes just do a terrible job as investors. And so we're really trying to move away from that temptation as operators within ClearLink and in all of our other businesses. So I think that's in part why our, our, our approach has worked as investors and, and that we fancy ourselves operators first, investors second. Yeah, but with operators first, investors second, um, it's a company that you've invested in yeah. through CART. You're not there day to day. Yeah. So I do believe that, but only to a certain point, yeah. right? Um, so you you know sold ClearLink and then Clark Capital. Sure. You're investing, you're on the boards, yeah. and you're like, why'd you miss that number? Yeah, of oh, course. Because it was really hard. And, yeah. Um, but now you're back to where <laughs> it's like, oh, I only ask that question to myself. Exactly, then, right? exactly. How's it's, that transition been? Oh, it's, listen, it's, it's our life right now, and it's been, it's been good. It's something that we were, we were, I think we were modestly prepared for, um, and, you know, it's, it's always nice to be able to at least hit those numbers and above, and I think that's what we've been able to do. So, but it's been extraordinarily challenging in, in this because, again, you, uh, we're more focused on sort of the long-term aspect of what this can be more than what the next quarter looks like and the quarter after that. Um, but, you know, we get the game because we've sat on both sides of the table. Yeah, so. for sure. Unique perspective. All right, so if you burn a candle at both ends, it'll get burned out a lot quicker. <laughs> so you're still, you know, with Clark Capital. Sure. Um, and so I'd be interested in, you know, you've got two roles now. How do you allocate time and energy and effort? Very carefully. It's, um, you, you, everybody in this room knows that. You know, it, it's, it's your most precious commodity, your time and what you're doing on a daily basis. And, and we've just had to find places where we can, um, leverage, you know, sort of our teams and, and ourselves and, and be in, you know, two or three places at once in a lot of ways. And so, yeah, we're, we're doing our utmost. We just need more people to be able to do that. And so that's, for, for me, it's just being able to leverage sort of, you know, sort of our core competencies and what we sort of do on a daily basis. And, and you know, I think it sounds trite, and maybe I'm just saying this in, in platitudes, but, you know, um, our, our efforts, um, you know, really, as you think about this business and think about how to not burn at both ends, I don't know how to do that. And I'm, and I'm sorry, I, you know, I, unapologetically, we're, we just work like mad. And maybe it's the Idaho farm kid in me, but it's, 
I, I don't know how else to do it. I don't golf. I don't go to friends' lunches. Um, I spend a great deal of time at a, a university that I love at UVU. Um, I, I serve in my faith, but other than that, our, it's our it's our family in this business. So yeah. So if a sweetheart deal of the decade came across your desk, Clark Capital would still invest, and you're still <laughs> in that role, right? Of deal flow and oh. we. we we have really pivoted our team to focus. And you know, Matt Matt Durham is here, um, president of our one of our brandless, but one of our portfolio companies called Brandless. Um, we have pivoted our team entirely to focus on these portfolio companies. Yes, we'll continue to see deal flow. We'll continue to do follow-ons and allocation, but we're exclusively focused on what we're doing at ClearLink and then our efforts at Brandless. And, and I think it shows. But you know, I, I heard it said once that you know, wealth is preserved through diversification, wealth is created through this, your specialization of labor and your specialization of effort, efforts and focus on those things. So that's, you know, for us, that's what we're doing is, is we're really focused. And I, I wouldn't say singularly focused on ClearLink, but really a lot of our efforts are there and, and certainly with, with Brandless and what we're doing in those companies. We're really proud of their efforts. And Sydney Tetra, who is a bit of a rock star here in, in our state and runs SheTech and the Women Tech Council, has been an exceptional leader, taking that business from, you know, they went from a million to 24 million to, you know, what could be $150 million this year and beyond. So it's, it's really one of those fun stories to watch, and they're in really great shape with the likes of Matt Durham and Sydney Tetra, but we're really proud of that team and the opportunity to, to, have, to have acquired that through SoftBank, learned of the deal, and 10 days later closed it and, and acquired it. And we finished a $118 million first raise in our Series A. We're, fin we're doing a Series B right now, even in a very challenging market. So a very long answer to your short question. But, yeah, we're, we try to focus on sort of this dual path right now. Yeah, uh, makes sense, and it's a great answer. So um, Brandless was portfolio company SoftBank, right? They got roughed up with Uber and WeWork and all sorts of things. And, and I think they say often that they were, we worked, you know, it was sort of what happened to them. But yeah, but it was an interesting business. 20 million of revenue, half billion dollar valuation. Uh, and then, you know, SoftBank pulls all of their funding, the $300 million they had allocated. And then that's when you guys saw value, deal was structured. Yeah. And um, let's talk a little bit about Brandless. Sure. Um, what is it, the business model? Um, and then... It seems like it might be growth through acquisition. Let's yep. just talk about your, sure. your thoughts there. Yeah, there's a, it's both parts acceleration and acquisition. Um, you know, brandless, the, the whole story is sort of pull out and extrapolate the, the dollars that you would otherwise spend, the brand tax, if you will, that a, you know, Matt over here is a former J&J &J guy, so I don't want to be pejorative around Johnson & Johnson and the, the billions of dollars that they spend on branding or Procter & Gamble and others, but they do. And so the thought is, you know, you remove that brand tax, if you will, create the best possible products within your ecosystem uh, that are on your body, in your body, around your home, and that's been our focus. They have grown substantially through their, their acquisition network, and I get, you know, calls all the time from friends, fellow entrepreneurs, um, so who's this Matt Durham guy that keeps calling me about acquiring my business? Uh, Matt's doing a great job. I think they're looking at about 1,000 deals every month. Um, they're, they're growing their dot-com business, their direct-to-consumer business, but that's really what it is. So um, every, everything that's sort of, you know, as good a, and healthy a product, you know, as you can imagine, at a very reasonable price. And that's, I think that's why they've done well, even in a challenging market like today that we see, where a lot of companies in consumer are softening, they continue to see growth. Uh, year over year, 30% growth, which has been, you know, even... And that's in addition. Those are the companies that we're acquiring. In addition, our organic growth is even better than that. So it's been, it's been fun to watch them, and we love the thesis around this business. And clearly, the market does as well. So if you do an acquisition um, that probably has a brand, you'll take the brand off and throw it into your guys' vortex of profitability? Yeah, I think we're working through the, that brand because certainly brand equity is something. And, and again, Brandless is unapologetically a brand. So we'll, we'll never sort of go away from that. But yeah, there are opportunities for us to sort of reskin, repivot sort of what that brand is and see how that fits in with the ecosystem. But you really want to look at a Brandless as a platform. 
So, as we all know, and, and not that we are anywhere near or even have aspirations to be in Amazon.com, but certainly, you know, they, they emerge as a bookseller. And knowing that they could go into different verticals, I think if you looked at Brandless, it could be the platform for all things better for you. And I think that's the area that we, we want to own as a consumer products company. And the leadership is taking us there. So it's been fun to watch that. I've never seen a rocket ship grow quite like that. So it's been fun. No, that's very fun. I was on the website, and um, I'm clearly quite sloppy and unhealthy, so a lot <laughs> of that, I'm like, my wife would, would love this. <laughs> and I was thinking, boy, if there was a brand list for, like, hunting and fishing and, and stuff For you and I me, liked, like I said, this Idaho boy would love that, yeah. Where's that? <laughs> Maybe that's a new vertical for us, Garrett. Because <laughs> if you take the brand off of, yeah. uh, you know, a, a high-end spotting scope or something, yeah. it's not that different than another one. I, I like your style. Okay, <laughs> new vertical, Matt. Are you listening? I hope so. Great. Because <laughs> uh, then I'll finally like enter into the e-commerce world and buy stuff it's online. It's great. All right, so you are the chairman of Brandless, right? Sure. Yep. Um, there's all sorts of titles. Uh, I think people know what the CEO does. They know what the VP of marketing sure. does. What does the chairman do? That's a great question. <laughs> in the boardroom or out of the boardroom? I think I think I take on a little bit more of the general, not the day-to-day -day responsibilities, but ours, mine has been leading our capital raising efforts and, and some of the cap intro that's taking place within the business, um, making sure that we're public ready. Um, you know, certainly uh, from a financial side, those of you that have built businesses know about making sure that you have PCAOB financials, making sure that, you know, you're gap compliant, all these things, that we're ready when, you know, when the, Ducks are quacking. You want to be able to feed them, you know. When Wall Street comes a calling, uh, ours, mine's about company readiness. I think that's what I've really focused on within this organization and others that have gotten ready for public offerings, gotten ready for exit. And you know, listen, we don't know what the path is or where we actually end up on this one. We just want to be ready for sort of whatever the best possible strategy in the end is for us as we talk about liquidity event or whatever that might be. So I think that's the role that I've taken on and, and really what I focus on as I've chaired other companies as well. So, yeah, um, I, I'm probably a more active chair than a lot of others are, but it's it's been really rewarding. And, and again, we're not the type that, you know, will point fingers and say, go do this. We'll just lock step, lock arms with folks and get in the weeds and, and really help. And I think this is where I've been out on the road with our teams in, in each facet of sort of the, the, the stages that a business goes through. And so I've really enjoyed that. It, it satisfies my need as an operator to be involved on those day-to-day, -day, you know, sort of parts of a business. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about deal structures because you've seen them all. Like you've been acquired, you've acquired, mm -hmm. you've invested um, yeah. early stage, late stage. Um, there's a learning curve to each one of those, right? There is, absolutely. And if Brandless w wants to go public at a certain goal, yeah. uh, you mentioned all sorts of red tape and bureaucratic nonsense. Um, what is working back from that goal? Where do you start? How do you uh, find the, the, the starting point and then move forward? And who oh. draws the short stick and like has to talk to the <laughs> SEC? And I, I, this is where I probably draw on the expertise of the, you know, this collective group here, because there are so many friends that I see here who have done this very thing and probably have a far better answer than I, than I do. Um, you know, as you build a business, and, and this is what I've said many times to, to, to folks in, in groups that I've, I've talked to, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself and those that, that have heard me talk. Um, you know, if you want to be a rocket scientist, you could probably, you know, you'll, you'll be able to find a major for that. You can go into that. I mean, as hard a thing as you can imagine, or, or to be a neurosurgeon, or those very challenging professions, um, there's a major or a path or, a, you know, a, a great way to get there. To create a first-of-a-kind business that's never been, I don't know the book. I, you know, and I, I, I don't even know where the map is to something like that because there's so many twists and turns and ups and downs in something like that. It's, um, it's the hardest thing that I know of on planet Earth. As hard as being a neurosurgeon is, and, and listen, it, it is, and it's something I wouldn't be capable of doing or a rocket scientist, but there is no map. There's no sort of great, here's the plan, go do this, go build a clear link or a, go, you know, create silicon slopes and what that is and create the ecosystem that is here in Utah. 
There's just not a map for those kinds of things. And that's why it's so special. And that's why it's so aspirational um, to, to start a business. So it, it, could I give, you know, sort of instinctually what we do on a daily basis from sort of start to finish? Yeah, I think there's, there's some things that have been, you know, call it your, your instinct that have sort of guided us. But our instinct comes through neural pathways that you you know, you build by making mistakes. So if I made my fair share of mistakes, absolutely. And you do, and you pivot and pivot and pivot again. And so that's for me as an entrepreneur, when you think, and you know, I've got one of my former business partners, Sean Clark, sitting back here, when how many days did we think that we were gonna, you know, go out of business in our first startup? I mean, it happened all the time, and I think about that, but it's it's those who stick with it and stick with it for the next 10 or 20 years till you see, you know, a, a successful exit or a successful company. And what I've also learned is, you know, I sold ClearLink because, you know, you can imagine having 99% of your net worth tied up in one singular asset. So it was appealing for us to sort of, you know, take some chips off the table and, and do what we've wanted to do and invest in these other companies. But, you know, had, had I had a little more context, it was just really starting to get good. It had just gotten really profitable. You know, there were real distributions coming out of the business. And then you have currency to go do a lot of other things, bolt-on acquisition. So if you're really about, you know, um, if you wanted to do what I'm doing now and, and focus on, you know, M&A opportunity and, and acquisition, it can satisfy that need. So, you know, there's something special to just sticking with it, too. And I think that's what's really true about great entrepreneurs. When others give up, when others pack it in, these entrepreneurs that have been successful stick with it and make it happen over, under, or around, or through. Yeah. Um, you've been playing in the big leagues with, with business and private equity and growth and all of that. And inevitably, there's going to be some messes, whether it's you said this, contract this. Um, you might think somebody's a scoundrel. They might think you're a scoundrel. It's going to happen inevitably in life, right? Sure. Um, how do you compartmentalize that where like, oh, that person's lost my trust or they think I'm a scoundrel, they've, lo they've lost my trust? Um, how do you deal with that and just keep moving on? I try not to think about it that way. I, I just don't, I really don't think that people at their core are bad people. When, when something goes wrong, I just give the benefit of the doubt that I, I think it was a mistake or something like that. And, you know, for, for, you know, sort of what we, we do on a daily basis, um, you know, yeah, you, you're not going to get through what you do as a business person without a fair amount of, you know, the occasional table thumping or those types of things. We try not to, but, you know, um, yeah, we just try to give folks the benefit of the doubt in this. That And people are people, and they will make mistakes. And generally, people will do what's in their own interest. And so we don't blame them for doing these kinds of things. You just learn from it and, and sort of, again, that's one of those pivots and pivot away from it. But we have learned also that, you know, once you know if it's somebody within your organization that isn't performing or, you know, you, you know that they are not a fit, act on that quickly. And it's something that's been really hard for us to learn and act upon. But it's, it's the, one, of my, one of the best lessons I've learned is if you, if you know, act upon it and follow those instincts and it'll save you every time. Because the hardest things that I've ever faced in business, um, I've always been related to people. Every problem that you encounter has a first and a last name. I mean, it's, it's just that simple. It's not, these aren't business problems, they are people problems that you encounter. And, and, and so giving people the benefit of the doubt and understanding that people are, are going to generally do what's in their own interest, but not, I, I just don't think that people are inherently bad. I think people are inherently good and make dumb decisions from time to time, yeah, including myself, to, right? So. Yeah, we all do. That's a great way of looking at yeah. it. Um, I was uh, getting a little group of folks to play golf together, and um, they asked, who else is playing? And they were both pretty close friends, uh, and they had a beef, right? It was a business beef, a disagreement. Is that right? So I'm not playing with them. I'm like, oh, great. Now we're, <laughs> and uh, my advice to them was very similar to, you know, like, I think it's not worth it. Yeah. How if you want to just keep grinding this down, it's just yeah. going to be a waste. Yeah. So I think yeah. it's a great. Good way man. Of looking That's at. great. Um, no, people say life is short. We say life is very long with the wrong partners. Oh, yeah. So choose your people wisely. This is this is your other marriage that you're involved in, and, and it's it just matters. The people that that's certainly having the right people is what matters most. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, 
Well, we're going to open it up to uh, questions for the audience in a minute here. Uh, we mentioned briefly UVU. Um, you did not attend UVU, to my knowledge, right? But it's I, got a special place in your heart. I've probably spent more time on the UVU campus than I ever did at BYU when I was doing my undergrad. So I, 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 I am proud of this university and what it's about and what it's, what's taking place there. It's great. So what has been appealing to about the university over the years for you to be such a big stalwart fan? I, I think for me and what I've witnessed there, it's the most exciting place in higher education, period. Um, from the places that, you know, I'm, I, 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 I did my undergrad, just to give some context, I did my undergrad at BYU, I, I went to Harvard Business School, and then did a master's at, at Oxford. So I've seen some pretty good institutions. Um, what, I've, what you struggle with it with some of these, you know, like in Oxford that's been around for almost a thousand years, is that they're going to do it the Oxford way. I mean, that's just it. I mean, my, my professors would joke that even if God took your exams, he would only get a 70%. I mean, that's just the Oxford way. Um, but it, it, the nice thing about a, a UVU is that, you know, and, and Matt Holland used to say this. I love his leadership. I love President Tuminez, and they're just very dynamic, very different leaders, very dynamic. But Matt Holland used to say, it, you can only be young once. And this is a relatively young university, as was noted in, in, in the introduction. And so it's so fun to be in a place where an administration is open-minded. Bring your best ideas, and we can execute on those kinds of things. And so it's been really rewarding to be in a place where you can actually affect change and bring that about, rather than some of the other uh, in, institutions where I've served on boards where it's been a real challenge to you know, bring your best and, and know that that probably won't ever be realized. So I, I love that about UVU. And I think that's what you see with a UVU student. And we have, you know, interns of all type and employees of all types uh, within our firms. But there's something very special about this engaged learning model at UVU that is that it resonates in a workplace that it's an unentitled um, workforce that is being built at UVU. And I love it. And, and, and again, this, I, I'm a proud alumnus of, of Brigham Young. And I, I loved my time there. Um, but I'm really, really um, encouraged by what is taking place at UVU and, and the leadership there. And, and you know, Mark Arstein is here whom I work with whom I work. And if you want a good place to put your money and invest in a university, talk to Mark Arstein right there because he makes that happen. Um, but, it, but it's fun to be a part of this as it's really in this growth phase, the, the golden age of, of what's taking place at UVU. And there have been... You know, a lot, so many others, so many more, so many others in our community that have done far more than we've ever done at UVU, but we're grateful for, for what it's about. And I think it's a big part of what Silicon Slopes becomes and is today. So, you know, just this very unentitled workforce, which is rewarding to watch. So, yeah, well stated. Um, UVU is on a hot streak, and President Jimenez is just a dynamo. I don't think she gets told no very often. She's just too likable, <laughs> no. too high energy. And if she does, she's going to figure out a way to get it done anyway. Yeah, the the stuff they're doing is really cool, and they're scrappy and entrepreneurial. Absolutely, and, and it's fun. Taking the bull yeah. by the horns. And, yeah, we've had a lot of interns over the years from UVU. They're all great. Um, all right, last question here, and then we'll open up for audiences' questions. Hopefully we've got a microphone in the back. Yep. Sure. Um, so over the years, um, you know, once you... We're doing well with ClearLink. The opportunities arise to invest. Um, mm -hmm. Even you know if it's ten thousand bucks, you show up on the cap table all the way to big investments through um, sure. Clark Capital. Um, just a quick smattering of some of the deals you've done over the years, and how fun is it to watch? Yeah, you're a little long in the tooth now, right? You've got you can fifteen years. <laughs> can you see my gray back. hair? Um, is that what it is? <laughs> you can see like I remember when we did that deal eight years yeah. ago, type yeah. thing, and then look. Um, all the way from big to small, just share one or two fun insights on sure. your investments. Um, some of the early de deals, this is fun to see sort of what entrepreneurs end up doing and who they become in the process. And certainly there are a fair amount of failures, but there's, it's fun to think about, you know, a young Mark Newman. You know Mark Newman from Nomi and, and what he's doing today. But, and, and of course, you probably know that he was the you know, the founder of, uh, of HireVue, they sold that business to Carlisle for probably what was a half a billion dollars or something like that. Um, pretty remarkable story. But I knew Mark when he was still doing his undergrad at Westminster. And, you know, he, he wanted to buy, sort of, he was part of this founding team, he and Ryan Money, and he saw an opportunity and he executed on it. And, and listen, 
he was, like we all are, young and inexperienced. But man, I'm so impressed by him and what he did there and then what he's been able to do with Nomi and what you know, he's become. So the, to me, it's re really rewarding to see the horses that you're betting on really pay off. And listen, we were out of that deal. We were in as part of the, we were the founding dollars. We built the tech stack for higher view. And then I was out very, very quickly. I was, you know, the first member on their board and got to watch from the sidelines what they were doing. I never would have imagined the success that they would have seen in that business. So I'm so proud of that one. For every Mark Newman, though, I, I could give you a, a dozen or two dozen, you know, real challenging circumstances. So it's really fun to see these rewards and see when it pays off for the individual. Because that's, to me, that's the most fun. To see an individual grow into something like that and see a person that came from, you know, sort of this scrappy undergrad to, you know, he's, he's a real titan in what he's doing. It's been fun to see. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd imagine that's one of the more rewarding parts from greasy napkin to, oh, you got your own building and <laughs> look at that cash flow. Yeah. It really it's, is. And fun to like keep those relationships. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I was fortunate to be in a, a work environment. With Sean, I mentioned Sean Clark already back here, but, you know, Sean and I were, were partners in a satellite dish selling company door to door. And, and Todd Peterson let us start that business, a competitive business to his, right inside of his own office as a favor to us. And it was this great thing. But, you know, guys like Ryan Smith was in that office at the time. Sean, who went on to be part of the founding team at MX. And, you know, it's, it's pretty remarkable to, to see, you know, this, this class of, you know, friendships sort of move in this direction. So it's been fun. But I, it, it's also been neat to see some of these... Um, uh, it, it, it kind of almost its own sort of a studio of sorts for startups in, you know, that Todd Peterson sort of in, invited all of his friends that wanted to start something into his office. He didn't have to do that. But how cool is that, that he had sort of this abundance mentality, even back then, to bring in all of his fellow entrepreneurs who would even compete with him and say, okay, I'll stake you in this and I'll do that. And so even before there was real sort of angel or even venture here in our community, he was a believer doing that. And so I, you know, I tip my hat to Todd and what he's done with Vivint and deserves all the success that he's seen. But it's more about his heart. And that's been really fun to see because he did, you know, by... Buying through his efforts created a whole new class of entrepreneurs that came through that his doors at his office. Yeah, yeah, I think that's amazing because there's networking and all of that, and then yeah. there's actual friendships, real relationships, and yeah. those are very important. And uh, if people can do that going forward, it's just going to be self-sustaining. Really special. Yeah. Cool. All right. Questions from the audience? Raise your hand. We've got a microphone roaming around. Yeah. What do you really want to know? That's what I'm curious. If the, uh oh, well, I see you over here. Hey, James, thanks for coming out today. How are you? Uh, do you ever get survivor's remorse? <laughs> That's a generous question. How do I answer that one? Um, no, listen, you, you say that, but yeah, do we have our own challenges in this? In the, yeah, absolutely. And we, we see them. And, and everybody who's been through this, it's easy to look at somebody and say you're a 20-year you know, overnight success. Um, and and it's, it's easy to fall into that thinking when, in reality, it's just guys that get up like you and I, uh, women that, you know, just get through the hard and challenging times of what building a business is or even a career. It, and, and, you know, suddenly you show up 20 years later and you've, you've actually got a meaningful body of work. And that's, and that's really fun. But that's, thank you. You're a good man. Yeah, I had a question. So you talked a little bit earlier about... Um, grinding and how you just work really hard and so amidst that grinding how do you what do you do intentionally to to balance life yeah um, I knew you were a lot of entrepreneurs who are out there grinding trying to figure it out how, how do you how do you balance it all I, I knew that question was coming so um, I don't um, I don't know if any of you were there when Meg Whitman came to Utah it was her last day as CEO of eBay she was speaking at what was a predecessor to even, you know, Silicon Slopes at, at an event. And she said that. I mean, she's married to, if you, if you know her life, she's married to a world-class surgeon who is sort of the stay-at-home dad or was for their children. And she's, you know, this very accomplished and who be, woman who became a billionaire through her efforts at, at, at eBay. 
but said, said these words, and I'll, I'll never forget it, that she doesn't believe in balance. Um, she believes in trade-offs, which I started to buy into. But, you know, that tra trading, you know, something of greater value for something, you know, that's, you know, you trade, trade that thing of lesser value for something of, of greater value. It, that all sounds great until that, that's one of your kids. And you're trading off my kid's, you know, game or spending real time with your family for whatever you think actually might have greater value for you. So that my answer is I, I haven't figured out that recipe well at all. I've just cut a lot of things. I don't, unfortunately, Garrett and I were talking about this before, I don't golf. I don't go to, you know, friends' lunches. I don't, you know, I, I work. And I try to mix sort of the social in with what I do, both in our community work, but also with, you know, my, my uh, business life. But there's no question, if you ask my family, they, I, I hope they would answer that they know that they're first and, and always, uh, despite, you know, sort of the demands on our time. And, and so that's, that's been my recipe, and that's what we followed. Um, just to cut a lot of things out that would probably look like a balanced life and just focus on, you know, a few key areas where we, you know, focus on our family, our business, and, and what we do in the, in, in the community, including our faith. So it's, you know, I, 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 that, that's, it's probably not the answer you were looking for, but I, it's, it's really been the challenge of what we do every single day is to try to find that because I, I really do care about our family the, the, the absolute most. But this is a very big family. I think within our Clark portfolio of companies, we have about 36,000 full-time employees today. So it's, you know, I grew up in a town of about 12,000. I mean, it's three of those that we're managing. And it's, it, it's real. So it's, and it's a real way. But we have really great people, and I'm honored to be part of those families as well. So Heather raised her hand. My friend Heather Namelka, whom I really admire, by the way, has been one of these that I, I've seen go through this wonderful metamorphosis in, in her career and her life plan and, and what's taking place there. So I, my, my hat's off to you, Heather. Good to see you. Thanks, James. Um, so I wanted to ask you, oftentimes with startups, um, company culture is so important, but with startups, you're not often deliberate because you're working on so many other areas, totally, right? Totally. So as you've seen ClearLink you know, you know, grow, what has the culture been since you've come back to it? And what are the challenges that you're seeing with a company that's established, but having to come back in and make sure that the culture is still strong? You know, it's such a great question. It just, as you asked that question, it just reminded me of a story that I heard about ClearLink that I felt like it was a true demarcation in our culture. Um, you know, you build a company, and I, I think we were really built on, you know, just kind of these wholesome values. I mean, a lot of our employees were working in a call center or in technology, and a lot of them had served missions for their faith, and, and were these great employees. We were based in Salt Lake. Um, I remember hearing a story two years after we had sold ClearLink of, you know, new management team, they're at a Vegas retreat, asking for all of the return missionaries of their faith to come up on stage. They did, and they handed each one of them a big stack of ones and said, we're going to the strip club tonight. That, to me, was not the culture that we had built. Um, and I was, I was mortified as I heard that. And listen... But it worked for them, and, and so I've returned to a very, very different culture. Now, is it that culture? No, it's not. Not in any way. Um, but I thought that was an interesting, you know, sort of indicator of what turn that culture had taken. And, um, yeah, so I, I, we're, we're working through that right now um, as sort of what, what is a clear link or what is a brandless and being really intentional about that. But... What I've learned about culture is you can't copy somebody else's culture. It has to be uniquely your own. And it has to come from this body of people with whom you work. And it's, it's the right question. But, yeah, to, it, it is a full-time intentional effort on a daily basis to focus on what a culture is because it defines so much about you and about what this company does to perform. Great question. Hey, thanks for coming out today, James. Fun to I hear you. Hi. Um, I'm... Wayne Roberts in administration at Mountain Point Medical oh, Center. Oh, that's great. Thank and you. Uh, I, I can see that you value education with your history and where you donate your money. Um, what advice would you have for a kid coming out of high school that comes to you and says, do I need an education? That's an easy one-word answer, and the answer is yes. 
Um, the, the harder part is why. And again, um, I, I learned this, and it took me a lot of years to really figure out what I was gaining from an education. I knew that I wanted to sort of um, associate with the best in education. And you, know, you could ask a Ruth Todd, why does Ruth go back and get an MBA? She's one of the most accomplished people I know. She's a C-level at a multi-billion dollar public company, great partners of ours at New Skin and Brandless. Why does someone like that do it? It, it has to come from here, and you've got, to, you've got to want that, because it's so much more than what you're learning academically um, in, in a classroom. It is, to me, the best parts of my advanced education were the relationships that I've built, buying through that. So if I'm a, you know, a teenage kid asking the same question, yeah, you could probably go to a library. You could probably YouTube and learn you know, half of all of this. You could learn that, but will you build those relationships? Will you truly learn what is being taught in our advanced education system in, in higher ed? And I, and I don't think that you do. I think you can, but it wouldn't be at the same pace. It's those relationships. I'm business partners with two, three of my business school classmates that would, would have never been without the relationship building that came. Because you know who you can trust. You know you're working with these people on projects, and you, you know, look forward to you know, the, the opportunities that are there. So I, again, as I've already said, it's always about the people. It's always about the who. And that just puts you in front of additional opportunities to get to know folks and, and really build on you know, not just the textbook education, but the worldview education and this relational education that I think in so many ways we're just missing out on today in this virtual digital world where, again, we, I, I've said this word, so forgive me for overusing it, but just how tactile that then becomes. Because you can get a great education anywhere. Um, it's really just about the people that you meet. So that would be my answer. Time for but thanks one for more. the question. Awesome. Thanks, James, for being here. So um, talking about startups, um, in the early stages of a company, no matter how much you may believe in an idea, mm. at what point do you know that you're onto something versus we should probably cut bait mm. and get out? Do you have an example for me? I mean, it's a good question, but is there a place where you've seen that? Or The reason I ask is I always hesitate to give advice because I've gotten the worst advice from some really smart people. The wor I mean, the worst advice. Like billionaires giving me this advice, do this. And, and you know, they have you know, 30 minutes of context of getting to know me, and then they give me this advice. Um, uh, any context that I could have to answer that one? Yeah, I mean, I could give you just, I mean, so my yeah. example, I'm a founder of a company. Yeah. We've been operational about two years. Yeah. And we're making money, we're growing, but it's, you know, it's at a point where we're bootstrapped, we're getting to the end of our line, yeah. and we're not still, you know, revenue positive enough yeah. to, to cover everything. So the question is, uh, you know, was this a fun idea? Even though it's growing, it's yeah. growing slower than we need it to, yeah. and we should move on as much as you may believe in it, we yeah. may believe in it, or stay the course, find some greater partners, pour some fuel on the fire, and just keep you know, burning the ships. Well, you said exactly what I would have said, your, your last line about burning the ships, which is what I've always done in building companies. I just ha didn't have a backup plan. We had to make this work. Now, did it end up being what our original business plan was at ClearLink? No, absolutely not. I mean, it is so, I mean, again, to that pivot point, it's what we had to do to sort of make things work. My, my sort of burn the ships moment was, you know, I, I got married a little later in life by Utah standards, getting married at 30. You know, so we wanted to start a family immediately. My wife was the breadwinner. She was a top, top drug rep for her company, and she was, you know, the investor in the business. We wanted to have this family, but I knew that she wanted to be a full-time mother if we had kids, and so I made a deal and said that we would cash flow by the time that this baby was born. So I knew exactly what my timeline was. A good nine months. I mean, and it was. And so I worked my guts out for those nine months to make this happen. Did we pivot through that period of time? Absolutely. And we were really fortunate that the timing, it's amazing when you have to make it work that those kinds of things happen. If you have an option to you know, step back and say, you know, listen, I could go have a great career. I had it before and I'll go do it again. I didn't have those options. 
I had literally burned, you know, I, whether it's burning bridges or burning ships or whatever I had done, I just didn't have that option. I had to make that work. And so we pivoted. And, and you know, maybe different from what you're starting and doing, too. Part of what we've done, you know, throughout my career has been sort of to see a pretty good idea and improve upon it. So I, not, I've never all been all that novel. I spent, my dissertation was on what I called firstlings, people that were doing, you know, sort of uh, first of a kind, um, businesses, category creators that were a billion dollars of scale or greater, you know, um, I, I wasn't one of those, and I'm not. I'm fascinated by them, and maybe you are, but I, I looked at deals and things that were happening pretty well that I could improve upon. And for us at ClearLink, it was somebody who was selling satellite dishes online who was doing a $20, 20 million of revenue, and I thought, they are doing $20 million of revenue? Their website is terrible. It, and it was. It was absolutely abhorrent. But for, for us, we thought, okay, so what could we do with great customer service? What could we do with um, a really nice website that was easy, that you know, ergonomically worked for folks? Um, and, and that happened to be you know, sort of what worked out for us. And then we added upon that. But we just found one vertical that worked, and then we could add upon that. And you know, it, it took us you know, those two years to figure out you know, sort of the first client, first vertical, another two years to get our second, and then brands started chasing us, and then we got to add verticals that way, and then it became fun and scalable. But I would always argue that the hardest part in any business is from zero, from startup, complete startup, to a million dollars of EBITDA, being the E in EBITDA, a million dollars of earnings. After that, you can scale, you have resources, you probably have some people around you and some talent, but to get to a million dollars of real earnings is, is that hardest time in any business. The rest is, yes, challenging and hard, but then you've got something. If you can do a million dollars of earnings and, and then you can scale. And getting there is sort of this magic door. And that's why you know, I've, we've invested in growth equity opportunities because we've, we've sort of birthed the baby and gone through the really hard part of a business and gotten to you know, sort of this special place in it. Uh, I, I wish you the very best. I, all of you who are starting and running your businesses, because there is nothing more special to me on, on planet Earth than building a business from scratch. It's hard. Nothing, not rocket scientists, not neurosurgeons not, are, are able to do the kinds of things that entrepreneurs are doing building business. So sorry to all you physicians and all the physicians over at Mountain Star. Um, but it, it, it's really, really special to create something out of nothing. So good luck to everybody and congratulations on all of your efforts. Thanks so much for having me today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Cool.